Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It's a beautiful time of year on the podcast for some of you, and it is a it's the time of the year on the podcast when many of you also just shut me off for a week. And that time is season win total time. We're going to be breaking all that down. But first, well, division by division, I guess I should say. But first, see, I'll get there. Nerland's Noel inked a one-year deal with the Sacramento Kings. That's fun. Demonis Sabonis has been incredibly healthy. Um, Yeah, I think that's a fair thing to say. So this is a long shot at fantasy value. But I do always love seeing Nerland's land somewhere and the Kings are a pretty good spot because they'll run. They'll gun. You can get out, block some shots, maybe get a couple dunks here and there. You know, you're, you're, we're talking very deep league stuff. Also, um, we, we touched briefly at the end of yesterday's show about the Jazz, or excuse me, the, uh, the Suns, not the Jazz, trading campaign to the San Antonio Spurs and how that left the Phoenix Suns with Beal, Booker, Durant, Aiton, and about 400 minimum guys. And then uh, Shams had a report saying that Bradley Beal was going to be entering training, training camp as the Suns' starting point guard, which is just like, all right, look. This is a thing that probably, offensively, the Suns are going to work because they have two of the best scorers in the NBA and all three of their main volume guys are high-efficiency volume guys. Kevin Durant, incredible field goal and free throw percent. Devin Booker, very good on both of those. Bradley Beal, pretty damn good on both of those also. Overlooked a bit because none of the three is what you'd call a traditional outside gunner, but they're all pretty good from three-point land. None of them is is bad, per se. Kevin Durant hit two three-pointers per game, this year, Booker was at 2.1. Where the hell was Beal? I think he was slightly less than that. Want to do the Bob Euchre. The hell with it. Yeah, he was at 1.6. So none of them is like a traditional three-point shooter, but they all have the ability and they all have the gravity to space the floor. So offensively, they'll be fine. You could insert uh, a, a turtle riding a scooter in the fifth slot in their starting unit, and they'll still put up a whole bunch of points. They could go four on five, is what I'm saying, and they'll still score plenty because all of those guys can score against two defenders or three defenders or an entire damn team. The problem I see with this, and this does creep its way into the fantasy space, is that not having a traditional point guard is a thing that teams can get away with. Lakers haven't needed a traditional point guard in a long time. Uh, you can find a whole bunch of them. The, the Clippers didn't have one forever in this Kawhi-Paul George era. Don't tell me Reggie Jackson's a traditional point guard. He's not. You go down the list. Um, do the Warriors have a traditional point guard? Uh, probably not. Kings do. I mean, obviously, Darren Fox is a great scorer, but he's he's a point guard. He plays... He can play like a point guard. He's a good passer. They also have Demonis Sabonis as a good passer, so that's sort of double thing. Um, OKC didn't really have one. 
Wolves did. Jazz did. Anyway, you go down the list, and not every team has a traditional point guard. So then the question I got on Twitter when I was asking about this, this all this news from like a day and a half ago, when I said, I don't think they have a traditional point guard anymore. And, some, and someone very astutely asked, do they need to? And the answer is not really. Because... To quote Jurassic Park, life finds a way. The Suns will find a way. Whatever it happens to be. For the Clippers, there's a lot of kind of trade-off offense. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, kind of each rotating who starts any individual play. And you'll probably see some of that with the Phoenix Suns as well. Uh, Whoever's more adept at pick and roll, they'll bring DeAndre Aiden out to him. If there's someone who's better and different, like, they'll, they'll figure out what schemes make sense for the different guys. The reason I brought up the traditional point guard is that whatever they're doing in Phoenix is going to have to start with one of those guys. And that's unsettling because that's not what they've done. Devin Booker starts an offensive play, yes, but is he always the guy to bring the ball up the court? and worry about the other guys on his team kind of getting going or getting theirs? No, that hasn't really been his job. Same story for Kevin Durant. Has he done it? Has Booker done it? Yeah, has Beal done it? They've all done it. They all can do it, and they're all fine at it. But what did we hear out of the Clippers camp? I'm going to use them as the example. For like the last two years, all we kept hearing was, We want a point guard. We want somebody to bring the ball up the court for Kawhi and PG. We want somebody that can figure out who's hot, get the ball to these dudes in the right spot, so they're not doing all the work. Why do the Lakers work without a traditional point guard? Well, because LeBron James is a damn point guard. Why did the Warriors work without a point guard? Well, because Draymond Green is the damn point guard on that team. Okay, Steph is also the point guard on that team, but... These clubs are built in a certain way, and in a, and here with Phoenix, it's not really that yet. And that's the key word there, yet. Bold, underline, whatever. They'll figure it out. Give them time, they'll figure it out. But the beginning of the year is going to be weird. As they go into like a trade-off offense for three guys, each one trying to be less dominant than the other, it's the worst look in basketball is when superstars are trying to make sure other new superstars, I guess that'd be newperstars, have an opportunity to go shine. Here, you go. No, it's fine. You go do it. You're new here. You. We want you to feel welcome. And so there's this deferential thing, this treatment that goes on, and it, it happens every single time where a, a new key guy gets shows up at a place and a team doesn't, the teammates and it's a nice, like, from a, is this a, a nice thing to do? Yeah, it's a nice thing to do. But it is a, is it a good thing to do? No. It's weird to think that the nice thing is not the good thing. But that's the way it works. So, let's use that as our pivot point into season win totals. We begin today with the Pacific Division, which sadly is missing one team. So, we're only going to be covering four out of the five. The Clippers are currently off the board at a lot of sports books. Because they are the lead candidate to land James Harden. So some books put them up, then took them down, and put them up and took them down. And Harden keeps talking about how he wants to get there, and that's what his camp is saying. And the Sixers are going to hang on to him forever. 
you know, maybe we'll get a Clippers number back. Maybe there's one back right now. I like I didn't check this morning because I did this work last night. No, Clippers are still down. I'm looking at DraftKings right now because I figured those of you listening here stateside, that would be probably your most likely spot to land. Uh, so Clippers don't have a number. If they put them up, if they brought them a number here, um, most likely it would be in the pretty high 40s. But it is an impossible wager to make because you don't really know what the hell is going on with James Harden. I would lean to the under, mostly because of team health and because if Harden does get added to that team, you want to talk about a learning curve. That is a sizable one. But let's talk about the teams that we actually have the numbers on. We'll start with the Phoenix Suns because that's who we were just talking about a moment ago. Suns have the fourth highest total on the board behind the Nuggets, the Celtics, and the Bucks. The Suns at 51 and a half. And you guys know where the hell I'm going with this one. I am going under. Not just because they went 45 and 37 last year, which already tells you, like, this is how hard it is to get to 50 wins in the NBA. Forget for a minute that we're trying to now get clear of that mark. What teams in the NBA had more than 51 and a half wins? Denver had 53 this last year. Uh, Milwaukee, Boston, and Philadelphia in the Eastern Conference. Milwaukee had 58. They went nuts for a while. Boston started the year crazy. And then Philly was just sort of like kind of quietly pretty good all season long while they were mostly getting dog. Four teams cleared 51 wins. And interestingly, four teams have a season win total this year of 51 and a half or higher. But that's not the reason you go under. You're not like, well, it's four teams. Why shouldn't they be one of them? The issue for me is what we were just talking about. One of the biggest, and I'll, I'll probably say this at the start of every single podcast here during this, this season win total stretch of our off-season podcastery. There are, I would argue, I don't know, I guess it's like three-ish main tenets to handicapping season win totals. And by the way, I'll start this, this whole segment by saying that last year, we actually weren't very good at them. For the first time since I've been doing this on the podcast, and I think this is the sixth year now, last year was the first time that we were below 500 on season win totals. And it's easy to see why. Um, I thought that the really, really bad tanking teams this last year would have to be like maybe two-ish wins better than previous years, and they were exactly two wins better. So the Spurs and the Rockets missed their number by basically like one to one and a half wins. So I said I thought they'd creep over despite tanking. They didn't. And surprise tank teams like Portland and Washington got off to good starts and then pulled the plug with like three weeks to go, and that's why they didn't make it over the mark. But again, that's part of the job here is handicapping what teams are going to be tanking, how hard they're going to tank, and how bad you have to be to get that top guy. And what I overlooked, and, and I, I should have put more stock in it, was how important it was to get the best shot at Victor Wembanyama. There isn't a player like that in this uh, coming draft that everybody feels is the 20-year game-changer for a team, at least not that, not that we know of yet. I'm sure there are going to be some good ones, and teams are going to be tanking for said good ones. But will it be as pronounced as the Wembanyama year? I, hard to say. Probably not. But anyway... Um, Forgetting all of that for a moment, we'll, we'll come loop back around to that. I want to start this discussion by talking about the main, the key tenets 
in season win total handicapping. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits Then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area. Find the best deals on game day drinks and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Tenant number one, continuity, a huge factor in season win total handicapping because the teams that have continuity tend to get off to the better starts. Nothing that I'm saying here is 100%, but a lot of what I'm saying is pretty close to that. Teams that have low roster turnover and generally good vibes, you kind of have to combine those two things. Like, you can't be a stagnating team. You have to be a team that's like, that looked pretty darn good and feels and like the 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 general aura around the team is good. They tend to go off to get a better starts, pile up a few wins early in the year when everybody else is trying to find their sea legs. That's good for season win total bets. So continuity, that's number one. Number two, motivational factors. Trying to figure out what outside the team might be influencing how the team feels on the inside. An example, by the way, of the continuity thing is someone like the Lakers. We're going to talk about them in a little bit. They had no continuity for two seasons in a row, and now they finally do have some. The Nuggets had a ton of continuity for multiple years in a row. Teams that have weird storylines around them, like the Warriors, went into this offseason with everybody talking about how uh, their run is over. They're too old. They got nothing left in the tank. This is one year removed, by the way, from winning a title. So, you don't think they're going to feel a little, a little something extra? And I, I was trying to figure out exactly how many tenets there were before I started that, because I didn't write these things down. They're just sort of in there. Uh, continuity, again, number one. Outside motivational factors, number two. Personnel stuff is number three. And then you can run some math. Math, I guess, would be number four. But that, to me, kind of gets rolled up in the other stuff. So we were talking about the Phoenix Suns just a minute ago, and there are a few things at play here. Um, Personnel, does it all fit? Again, uh, you know, looking at this from a, like, are these all all these players all very good standpoint? The answer is yes, but does it fit? Not really. Like, the pieces don't perfectly make sense. They're all so damn good on offense that it's just going to work. But you saw how much this team struggled on defense in the playoffs last year, and a lot of what you get with a lack of continuity is issues on defense. They're really almost as in anyone 
that this team's going to be relying on heavily that's a defense first guy. K- KD can play as D, make no like he's good there. Beal's fine on defense, Booker's fine. Aiton is decent, better against some than others, but to me this team's going to have some trouble on that end of the floor. They'll outscore a bunch of folks, but like you could just only could do that so many times. Oh, and then health, I guess maybe we should have put that in. That probably loops into math and personnel. On top of all the other stuff, Kevin Durant hasn't been able to stay healthy in a while. I still think that he floats on the, the edge of incredible value on the Roto Games cap side because I would expect him to play more than 47 games this year. Devin Booker's been progressively missing more games. He only played 53 this last season. Beal has actually been relatively healthy, although he took some time off at the end of the season. So he only got to 50 games this year. They'll all be better than that this coming season. But anytime any one of those guys is out, it the drop-off is substantial. It's not like you can plug in a half-decent player from behind. You're, you know, stars in scrubs mode here. The Suns really need health to wiggle their way through the, the regular season. So health is questionable. Continuity is zip, as like the entire roster turns over including the coaching staff. Does that fix things for them? Does fixing the coaching staff do the trick? I don't, I don't know if they're going to get a coaching staff bump. Ownership bump? Uh, for all these reasons, everything with Phoenix kind of points towards the under, so that's where we're going on the Phoenix Suns. Golden State Warriors have a really high number of 49 and a half, and anybody looking at that number, the first thought is to say, what? In tarnation, why is this number so ever-loving high? And it's a damn good set of questions. Warriors were 44-38 and 38 last year, and that is going 8-2 and two down the stretch. They were 36-36 and 36 with 10 games to go and then managed to finish the season six games over 500. So why the hell is Dan now coming on this podcast and suggesting that the Warriors might actually be an overplay? Reason number one, outside factors. This last year was a classic finals championship hangover. Happens all the time. Sometimes you don't get it out of the team that lost in the finals if they have that chip on their shoulder, but you almost always get it out of the team that wins in the finals because the regular season just doesn't feel like it matters all that much after a deep playoff run that makes you question why you want to go on living the next day but then if you get the trophy then you remember why that's not the case this year warriors had a uh they still you know they went two rounds into the playoffs but a little more brief playoff run and a slightly longer offseason that's helpful that then plays into personnel which for the warriors you have two things going on here number one is health Andrew Wiggins missed more than half of this last season, but more importantly, Steph Curry missed 26 games this last year. Not that he will necessarily for sure play more than 56 this coming season, but when Steph is on the floor, the Warriors are the Warriors, and when Steph is not, they are not. Same thing you could kind of say for Draymond Green, who they brought back. The next thing is not meant as a slight on Jordan Poole, but there is a little bit of an addition by subtraction going on thing there because the Warriors just kept blaming all of their woes on Jordan Poole. They weren't all his fault. Some of them were. But this is going to create an air of responsibility. The Warriors can't just blame the guy who's taking weird shots and got into a fight. Well, 
<laughs> you interpret that, got punched in the face by Draymond Green, not not liked in the Warriors' locker room, I guess. You knew that team was going to take the Draymond side. So, do the Warriors feel more galvanized this coming season? I think the answer to that is yes. So you got motivation, you got personnel, you certainly have continuity. That's been the case for this team forever, so you can't really roll that into the mix. That one you can kind of call not applicable. But then the last one I'd like to bring up is the Warriors' weird home-road splits, which I don't think hold into next year. I think they became their own storyline as the year went on. Warriors are going to be better than 11-30 and 30 on the road this coming season. Is it going to be that much better than how much worse they become at home? 33-8 and eight was one of the best home records in the NBA. I could still see the Warriors putting up one of the better home records in the NBA because they're just bombing shots in from outside, but they're going to be better on the road. And so amazingly, I do think the Warriors have a good season upcoming. I think they're going to be near the top of the West. I think you're looking at kind of a last push for this old squad, I think Clay Thompson, right? Isn't this the contract year for him? We're getting close to it. If not, look that up here before the podcast. But that's not even that's a that's a small thing. Um, and I just think that they win more of those. I, I mean, it really comes to me. It comes down to that road stuff. Better health from Steph. Better health from Wiggins. Better outcomes on the road. No finals hangover. I'm going to go against the grain here, and I'm going to take the Warriors over on a stupid high number. How far do they go over it? Probably not much. I think probably maybe half a game. 51 wins, probably at the absolute best. So is this a great bet? Probably not. But, I mean, this is why we break down every team. At the end of all of this, we'll talk about the ones that feel the strongest. This is definitely not one of those, but I do think it goes over. Speaking of bets I don't feel all that great about, another one that I hate taking the over on here is the Lakers. I mean, I'm going over on these two public damn teams back-to-back. Oh, it hurts me so. But I do like the Lakers' continuity. I like it a lot. They had a good offseason. They didn't blow it up. LeBron is getting older, but we haven't seen hyper- obvious signs of aging we've seen semi-obvious signs of aging I don't think he's gonna just fall off a cliff here this season we saw Anthony Davis look more like himself this last year that was as good as AD has looked he missed 25 games LeBron missed 26 games and to me like the fact that the Lakers got to where they did 43 and 39 with as awful as they played for so long this year is a sign that next season you're going to see a Lakers team that wins five, six additional games. Bringing back the players they did, minimal roster turnover. Dennis Schroeder is really like the one heavy minute guy that's not going to be back. They'll replace him with Gabe Vincent. D'Lo has more time to settle in. Rui's back for a full campaign. He really came into his own at the end of the year and into the playoffs. There's just actually, for the first time in like three years, a lot to like about the Lakers coming into this season. I think they're going to be good. I think you're going to see a focused team. And just, like, not being horrendous for the first three to four weeks of the year goes such a long way. It's hard to clear 48.5. That's the problem here. It's a pretty damn big number. 
But I do believe they can get there. The team has the right stuff swirling around it. Now, the one thing that holds me back here is I don't think that they care that much about the regular season. So I hate advising a play. So again, this is like why these are just leans. We're doing all the leans on this show. None of these is a big play or anything like that. We'll do that at the end of the segments. At the end of the the six-day segments, I guess we should say. So maybe it's going to be a seven-day show where we'll get into the ones I like the most at the end of it all. I hate making a bet on a team where I feel like I want the wins more than the team does. I just think it's going to be an era of good vibes. The Lakers team has been missing good vibes for so long now since their championship run. Well, since the year after that where AD got hurt early in the playoffs. They haven't had good vibes since April of 2021, and then they got them for a little bit here. Western Conference Finals, man, that's a pretty good run for a team that barely got to play together. Remember, D'Lo came and immediately got hurt, and then LeBron got hurt. These guys were thrown together pre-playoffs and made it work with almost no practice time. Some of that is the magic of LeBron. Some of that is just having guys that fit better. Some of that is Anthony Davis playing all-world defense. But they're going to win a bunch of games this year. They're not going to lose every close ball game. They lost a lot of close ones early. lost a lot of weird close ones on, on bad refereeing. It's pretty easy to see this team taking a step forward. Um, especially when you look at, like, Sacramento went 48-34. That's five games better than the Lakers this last year, but they're they're... Scoring differential was plus 2.6. The Lakers was plus, like, 1. That's that's the difference we're talking about here. The Warriors' scoring differential was about plus 2, and they went 44 and 38. So, Nuggets were plus 3 and change. Memphis was plus 3 and change. That Like, that's the difference we're talking about here. How to get to that echelon. It's not that different. And I know I'm going to get, I'm going to hear it for this one, but let's talk Sacramento Kings. I feel like I need to say it one more time. This will be hopefully the last time I say it on the podcast, but the Kings over this last season was one of the single biggest season win total bets that I have ever made or suggested on a podcast. Everything about that team screamed over, and the number was incredibly low. It was like 34 or 35 last year, right? I think we, here, wait, let's look this up. It's important that I have this. I need this number handy while we're talking about it. It was 32 and a half was the opening number for Sacramento, and they finished at 48. I mean, they passed this at the All-Star break. 32 and a half last year. This year, 43 and a half. So, odds makers playing catch-up. Raised the number by 11 wins. Here's the problem. Kings were plus 2.6 in scoring differential. Phoenix was plus 2.0, and they were 45 and 37. New Orleans was actually plus 1.9. The reason I bring these up is because, as great as Sacramento was, a lot of what they accomplished was De'Aaron Fox in the fourth quarter. He was a revelation this year. I want to say as many nice things as I can about the Kings so you guys know how pleased I was that that ticket cashed. That ticket helped me replace a broken television in this house. But some of that 
not all of it, some of it was not sustainable. De'Aaron Fox in the fourth quarter. Amazing. Sustainable for an entire career? Probably not. To be that good and hit that many contested mid-range jumpers over and over and over again. And the beauty of it was it happened a few times early and then a few times still semi-early, and then it just became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Kind of like the Warriors sucking on the road. Sacramento, they knew if they kept a game close late, Fox was going to win it for them a solid 60 to 70% of the time. He was just going to win close games for them at a near 50-win clip. If that doesn't start out the same way this coming season, if even the tiniest shred of doubt creeps in with Sacramento, I think you start to see some of those, call them 50-50 games, whatever you want to say, close ones late, clutch ones, they start to tip the other way. And even if you don't believe that's the case, one of the biggest reasons to fade the Kings going into this season is because they were one of the healthiest teams in the NBA in 2022-2023. Demonis Sabonis missed three games. Fox, nine. Herder, seven. Keegan, two. Barnes, zero. Monk, five. The six guys on the team that played the most minutes, all of them, all six, each logged way more than the league average in games played. League average in games played for the sort of relevant fantasy players this year was like 67 and a half. De'Aaron Fox was the closest to that at 73. This team made it a pretty remarkable habit of having guys play 90% of their games or more. That doesn't usually happen two years in a row. Something goes wrong. Sabonis sprains a knee or Fox sprains an elbow. Those would be the most important ones. But even the guys that are a little bit less important, you'll probably see them miss more than one or two games. Because that's just the way the modern NBA works. Teams just don't stay that healthy repeatedly. It's the big reason why we faded the Suns this last year. You say, oh, Dan, you didn't know that Devin Booker was going to miss a third of the season or whatever. No, I didn't know it. I just kind of like wink, wink, knew it. Because dudes on that team had just been healthy for like three years in a row. And at some point, that crap runs out. And I think with Sacramento, you see the health won't be as strong. Fox won't be as superhero-y, Herculean in the fourth quarters. You're going to see teams adjust to what the Kings did really well this last year. You're going to see a little bit of a stagnation because this is a team that wants to now kind of turn the corner, make playoff noise. The regular season isn't going to feel as relevant. I still think they're going to be fine. You probably see them, you know, fighting to get out of the play-in tournament, which I think is probably going to take 44, 45 wins this year in a, in a Western Conference that is uh, pretty tough. And I, I know it feels like 43 and a half feels like you should be able to just step over that, doesn't it? But I just don't think it's that simple. I'm going against the grain on the Sacramento Kings, and I'm going under. You could argue that partly because the over almost seems too easy. Almost like the under on Golden State kind of seems too easy, but they're just a public team, so that's a stupid high number. Of the teams in the West, and don't worry, we'll come back around to the Clippers when we have a number on that. In terms of how much I like any of these plays, 
The Suns under is probably my favorite. Then the Kings under. Then the Warriors over. And then the Lakers over. The Lakers one is the one I'd say I'm most concerned about because relying on LeBron and AD to play 60 games apiece (laughs) sends a chill up the spine. Sends a chill up my spine, at least. Tomorrow, we'll bounce into the Northwest. Uh, We'll try to go Southwest, I think, on Thursday. I'm hoping we can talk to Keith and Mike Fiddle uh, at some point over the next couple of days about their season win total activity as well. Those guys are very sharp. I know you've seen Fiddle. He's put some plays out already on the socials. And uh, you'll see me do the same when we get to the end of this exercise. But for now, reminder to check out our buddies over at calderalab.com. Use promo code ETHOS to get 20% off your order. The clean slate, the icon, the base layer, the good. Fix your damn face, people. Look good for the summer. Especially you folks listening in that are eh, a little bit older than the recent college grads. You guys, your faces look fine. You might want to use some of the icon after a long night out. The rest of us, we need the icon just from being alive. That's the one that I'm really looking at right now because that's the one when I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh. So I don't have that many wrinkles. I got a little bit of a baby face, receding hairline. This stuff isn't fixing that. But the eyes, man, the puffy eyes from bad sleep, bad sleep from kids getting strep or me having digestive issues or whatever comes with being an Ashkenaz. (sighs) Get yourself an icon. Get yourself some goodies over at calderalab.com with promo code ETHOS. Soak up that summer and make a good, damn, strong first impression while you do it. Again, shout out to my buddy Dom over at Caldera Lab for helping set up this new partnership. I am Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Season win totals week officially begins here on Tuesday, July the 18th. Check out the Fantasy Pass. Going uh, or running on sale right now. $7 a month for the all-sport pass that's going up to 10 as soon as we drop NBA content on you guys. So don't wait and miss it. Because you can lock in $7 for life. Let's also get early access to the B-150. I know you want it. Until tomorrow, everybody. So long for now. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.